together as Essence Place. It's been over the last three Sundays. Today's the fourth Sunday of Advent, and as we light a candle each week, it's just that visual reminder to us that, um, that Christ Jesus came, as John 1 says, as light in the darkness. And even though the darkness tried to overpower the light, the light shines forth. And so as we look at the candles that are burning and seeing each one, uh, Christmas Eve will light the center candle, the Christ candle, that brings the completion of Advent for us. But as I mentioned, today is the, the fourth Sunday in Advent, and here's really where we turn our hearts toward that expectant joy, that, that longing that we've been uh, looking at over the last few weeks of um, light in the darkness and longing for the preparation to be ready for the coming of Christ. And as Pastor Kristen talked about last Sunday, that act of repentance, the, the metanoia, the, the changing of our mind, the changing of our behavior and our action. And, and with that call that comes from John the Baptist in a, such a prophetic way in the Gospels of prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Today, we're going to look at, at moments where we see people responding and saying yes to God. And we see it in the Gospels, and, and we'll look at a few of those instances. But the reminder for us is, even in Advent, is um, that the word Advent comes from the Latin Adventus, which means the, the arrival or the coming. It's that expectant coming. And so, you know, we come to a place in Advent where we ask ourselves, if God has already come to us, then what is it that we're waiting for? Maybe you've asked yourself that over these Advent Sundays. Well, well, God's already come. Christ Jesus has already come. So what is it that we're waiting for? If God has already become incarnate, you know, uh, God taking on flesh in Christ Jesus, then what are we waiting for? And we realize, as we've talked about over the last few Sundays, that the longing for this long-awaited hope in Advent, it's, it's, it's wrapped in the tension of understanding that there is this this, this gap that exists between knowing the joy of Christ, knowing the joy of God and God that came near, but then still the longing of Christ to come into the deepest places of our hearts and our lives, places that seem undone. You know, last Sunday, Pastor Christian really brought us into um, a deeper place of understanding the act of repentance, of how it's not just the confession of, of Lord, forgive me, but it moves to a deeper place in the place of repentance, of seeing transformation starting to happen, and how that work is an ongoing work that God desires to do in each of us, and it requires this vulnerable response and the surrender of saying yes to the Lord, especially in the places in our, in our world or maybe in our own lives where we feel kind of that chaotic churning where we know the, the world is not fully as it should be or fully as God intended it to be. And then we see in Christ Jesus this tangible way of continuing to move forward, of becoming more and more like the one who has saved us and redeems us. And so in all of that, we continue to say, yes, yes, Lord, we're ready. Yes, Lord, work in me. And our prayer is between today and throughout this week as we get closer to Christmas Day is that, the, that you would discover that hope in a fresh and a tangible way in understanding the light of the world that has come to us. You know, we know full well, we know this, Christmas is not just about a day on the calendar, right? Not about the, the box, December 25th. As special as that is, it has a, a beginning and an end. And we know that it's not really about that. It's not about a season of giving and receiving gifts, right? We try to teach kids that. And we enjoy, we enjoy all of it. We enjoy the traditions. We enjoy the exchanging of gifts. Even though it comes with a lot of stress, it's a lot of fun to give gifts. And, and we know that in all of it, it, it becomes so much fun, but we realize that especially through the Advent season, as we draw closer to Christmas, it's an opportunity for us to, to realign ourselves with the beauty, the wonder, the mystery of God stepping into our world. So when we sing songs about joy to the world, the Lord has come, 
when we sing songs about, O come, O come, Emmanuel, O come, let us adore him, what we're doing is we're reminding our heart and our soul of the joy of the Lord that has come, that will come, and continues to come to us. So today, when we talk about this expectant joy, we move into a place of just saying yes to the Lord, a desire to see God work in our hearts and our lives. We realize that in the incarnation, this, this God taking on flesh, that it really should be a place that becomes like, almost like incomprehensible, you know, kind of mind-blowing of like, how could it be that the God who exists outside of time, that created all things, that spun all things into motion, could send Christ Jesus to walk this earth, to be human like you, like me, to experience life on this earth. Like we can't, we shouldn't be able to actually understand and know the fullness of it. We should get lost in the mystery of it in the Christmas season. And so as we move closer to the end of Advent and the the coming of Christmas and Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, part of what we do is we realize the journey of Advent helps us slow down and recognize the yes attitude that we need in our hearts. And almost like that childlike way we were watching a, a Christmas movie with the kids, and I'm not going to say which Christmas movie because it doesn't matter as much, but it was set in um, some decades before, and there was such a joy in the, the hearts of the people celebrating Christmas and, and this excited place of ex- celebrating Christmas. And, and Chris and I looked at each other and we're like, man, it doesn't feel like that as much in our world. It kind of feels like, oh, Christmas is coming, and it's coming, and I hope, oh, I'm going to have a day off or two, and Oh man, I you know I, I guess we're ready, and 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 maybe it's just it's just me, and maybe it's just my perception of things, but it really feels like, in so many ways, we've allowed um, the the world's perspective of a holiday season to influence our own attitude, behavior, and response, and even our willingness to stay open to what God desires to do in us. And so as we move through Advent, we hold this this expectancy where we see sorrow and joy that coexist. We remember things that, that feel undone, losses over the previous year or years, Moments that we desire to be one way and are not, and we feel in the, the invitation of Advent to hold, to hold all of that and know that there is a joy that kind of overwhelms and, and is, it kind of rests over all of it. And as we'll see today, that in so many ways, that joy of Christmas, the, the joy to the world joy, doesn't so much get thrown over Christmas like a, like a heavy quilt or blanket, but it's actually something that bubbles up inside of us. It kind of comes from a deep place. It comes from underneath and begins to flow up and in in us and through us. And then it starts to supersede even what our eyes can see, what our circumstances say are true. And we start to feel a deeper place of joy that comes from just saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, work in me. A joy that's grounded in God's spirit continually working in our lives, bringing that transformation, that restoration. And when we least expect it, we know that God is at work and that's where that joy begins to bubble up. And so we just say yes to the Lord. In the, in the Christmas narrative and the, the gospels that we see in the coming of Christ Jesus and, and Jesus' birth, um, each of the gospels have kind of their, their different take on it. And as we move through the church calendar, there's, there's three cycles to the, the church calendar, and each one uses a different focus of the, the gospels. And so this year, um, we've been focusing in using the gospel of Luke as, as our perspective and our look at the, the birth narrative and the coming of Christ Jesus 
And so when we, when we look at the, the Christmas season, the incarnation of Christ, so many times we can get really focused in on the moment of Jesus' birth, right? Away in a manger, you know, a little town of Bethlehem. That, like, we, we get kind of, like, focused in on this quaint, like, candlelit moment, soft light, you know. There's a, there's a cow over here, and Mary and Joseph looking pristine. <laughs> nah, we know that's not really how it all went down, but um, that, that it was much more raw and of this earth and dusty and, and of um, just such a, a lowly place that it's not really captured what we sing in our Christmas carols. But as we look at the gospel, sometimes we can actually get over-focused on just the moment of Christ's birth that we miss some of uh, what's happening around it. And so we've worked even through Advent this year to, to try to look a little more broadly at what is happening. So we've looked at, you know, John the Baptist and his prophetic proclamations of, of um, be ready for the coming of Christ. And, and we've seen a few of those. And so this morning, we want to look at a few others as we, as we start to see um, in this sermon of saying yes to God in Advent, that there are these attitudes of yes that come from a deep place of knowing that God is at work without even completely understanding what God is doing. Look at this with me, and we'll jump to Luke chapter 2. These are, these are the shepherds. You've heard this. Um, if you've watched uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas, you know, Linus, he does that great moment of, I know what the true meaning of Christmas is, Charlie Brown. This is, these are the verses that he reads. Luke chapter 2, verse number 13. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried along to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was a baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angels said, about, said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's stories were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And think about this powerful moment. Unexpecting shepherds, angels, the glory of heaven, as scripture says, uh, the armies of heaven. I can't even picture what that moment would be like on a hillside to have the angels of God appearing and declaring glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to those whom God's. And an and angel, think about it, like an angel has spoken to them and say, says, this is what's happening. Then a whole angel choir army shows up and begins to sing and proclaim. And then whoosh, they're gone. And the shepherds go, we got to go see what's going on. And their response is a yes, Lord response. They say, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. And so they go there, they see this scene, and it probably was confusing because this isn't a, a son of a king in an earthly way that's been born in a palace, but it's in a humble manger, but they know that God has spoken. And then they, they, as they leave, they're like, we got to tell other people about it. But all of this happens, and then what do they do? They just go back to work, right? They go back to the hillside. They go back to work. It's kind of a, kind of a silly example, but it makes me think of like that experience that you have when you go on vacation, you have this amazing experience, whether it's somewhere tropical or in the mountains or it's in the humid heat of waiting in line at Disney or whatever, but it's this amazing experience, right? And then you get in the car on the plane or however, and you return home, and then what happens? Monday morning comes and you got to go back to work, right? 
Like this is kind of a silly example, but uh, it's kind of, you know, a little bit lame and it's not a perfect example. But I think about like, here the shepherds had this phenomenal experience, this life altering, like literally the world has been changed. God has become incarnate in Christ Jesus. And then they have to go back to work. But what do they do in their, in their yes, Lord attitude? They say, we've got to tell people. We've got to make sure people know. We want people to understand. And, you know, it's kind of, I kind of wonder if it's kind of like, you know, when I come back from vacation, I want to tell everybody how great my vacation is. And they're like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm like, do you want to see pictures? And they're like, no, 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 no. Like, I just wonder if, like, it was that way for the shepherds where people are like, you're crazy. I don't, that doesn't even make sense. What are you talking about? That doesn't happen. I don't, you must be out of your mind. And yet, they had this deep attitude of saying yes to God. They experience God speaking through the power of the angels. And then they say, let's go. Let's go. Let's see. And that attitude of yes, Lord, let's go. Let's see. Let's experience puts them in a place where they would never see things the same way. They would never see things the same way. They get to experience God in a way that has never been experienced before. Think about it. In those first few hours of Christ Jesus' birth, here is the son of God wrapped in human flesh. There's only been a few people ever get to see him. And now they're one of them. They're brought in to the mystery, the wonder, the secret of what God is doing as God is starting to proclaim it and and unfold it. And so then you see in this moment, why wouldn't they be joyful? They're experiencing God in a deeper way. The God who has made them and created them has known them from the first moment of their birth, and now they've experienced God. And what can they do? Nothing but be filled with joy and begin to tell other people about it because this is, this is what's so amazing. And maybe they had tons of questions and maybe it didn't totally even make sense, but they just knew on a deep level in their spirit that something was happening. But this is what God does. This is how God works. This is how joy works as it comes from God. It's the invitation to show up, to be present in what God is doing is they could have seen the angels and they could have said, hmm, that was weird. I'm not going anywhere. I'm kind of freaked out. I need to see a doctor and get my head checked, right? They could have been completely dismissive of it. But instead, because it resonated that invitation from God, they stepped into it and they said, yes, Lord. And then because of it, they experienced joy in a way that they would have never otherwise experienced. When we say yes to the Lord, that that then we get to experience joy and it becomes a central part of what we are meant to experience in this world. Here's the thing about joy. Joy is not something that we make happen. Joy is not something that comes to us by escaping our fallen world. It's not by burying our head in the sand or an ascent to an ivory tower to pretend as though the troubles of this world don't exist. Joy is a gift that's discovered in the midst of all of it. That's where joy comes from. That's why when we follow Christ Jesus, when we go through pain, difficulty, loss, grief, sorrow, All the things that the world says, be careful, it will overwhelm you and it will take you under and it will hold you down until you drown. When we walk with Christ Jesus, we can experience a peace that passes our understanding, a joy that's an unexpected, unpredicted joy, a way of walking with a confidence of knowing, you know what, regardless of what I see and what I feel and what feels as though it may overwhelm me, I can walk in confidence because I know the one who has spoken.
I know what I've seen. I know what I've heard. And that's what we see with the shepherds. They're in this place of, of returning, yes, to work as normal. They go back out to the fields, and they're there with all the dirty, stinky sheep. But imagine what those campfire stories were like. They're sitting together. Maybe a new shepherd shows up, and they're all sitting around the story, and they're like, hey, hey, hey. Tell him the story about that time, you know, with the angels and stuff. Tell, tell him the story. Tell him the story. And then the smile comes back to their face and the joy begins to bubble up again. That is what happens as we experience the joy of Christ Jesus coming. It puts us in a place even of gratitude. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 and 18 say, always be joyful. That already feels overwhelming. But the scripture says, always be joyful and never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. How many people in this place belong to Christ Jesus? Yeah, right? In the belonging to Christ Jesus, there is an expectation that we will experience gratitude and thankfulness in all circumstances, and that that is God's will for us, that we would never stop praying, and that out of that, we would have the ability to always be joyful, It doesn't mean always be perfect. It doesn't mean always be happy. It doesn't mean try to put a happy face on everything you experience, but understand in your pursuit of God and your your response of saying yes to God, we can be joyful. The scripture knows what the scripture says. It It isn't telling us to rejoice or be thankful for all things or for all circumstances. What does it say? It says in all things, in all circumstances. In it, we find a thankful heart. In it, we work to have gratitude and to be joyful. In the messiness and the dirtiness of life, we say, yes, Lord, I will work to come to a place of being thankful and grateful. So again, it's recognizing that in all of this, there there is moments where God brings us hope and rescue from the circumstances that we experience. But so often what we are actually invited into is to continue walking through them and discover what God is doing in us. And so when we say yes to the Lord, there is this way of being able to receive and experience unexpected joy regardless of our situation or circumstance. Let's look at another player in the unfolding story of Jesus' birth. It's Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist. So over the last couple of weeks, you've heard John the Baptist's prophetic proclamations about prepare the way. And there's a whole story that we don't even have time for this morning about when when John the Baptist is being born. And the the verses that we heard this morning of um, Mary visiting her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is expecting a baby. That's John, John the Baptist. And they have this moment where within their wombs, there's a leaping because of the Holy Spirit of what God's doing. But wrapped around the story of of John the Baptist's birth, there's a moment where Zachariah speaks the name of what John will be named, John. And, and then out of it, he, um, as his voice has come back to him, he's able to name the child. He then has this prophecy that's recorded in Luke chapter 1. We're not going to read all of it just for the sake of time this morning, but looking at the, um, some of the last few verses, 78 and 79, this is how he ends his prophecy. He says, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. We need to remember that when this prophecy was spoken, yes, it was spoken to a specific people at a specific place and time. There were specific structures of power that existed in that time, of oppression, 
power structures that, that held people um, in, in bondage. And so as, uh, as Zechariah is speaking these words, he's speaking about the coming of Christ Jesus, and he's saying there is a light from heaven that is about to break upon us, and we can let that rest in its historical place and understand what's happening there, but at the same time, we realize because of these prophetic words and the ongoing work of what God's doing, there is a timeless nature to it that is still just as true for us today. Just as true for us today to understand that we find hope and joy in saying yes to God because we have the promises of Christ Jesus, our Savior. The light that comes to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death. A light that guides us to a path of peace. And as Zachariah says, it's all because of God's tender mercy. God's tender mercy. There's an invitation to us when we say yes to God to receive that tender mercy of God. Maybe that's where you are in this this Advent Christmas season. Maybe even where you're concerned as the family gets together, friends get together, or maybe are not able to get together at the end of this coming week, and you're in a place of going, how could it be? There's things that feel undone. There's words that that either can't be said, need to be said, or were said. (laughs) There's pain that resides in our hearts, and and so we can feel some, some resistance to the coming of Christmas. And, and in that, we, we need to understand that there is an invitation of God who comes to those that feel as though they sit in darkness. It's a tender light because of, of God's tender mercy that begins to break upon us, that gives hope and joy. And we realize it's not contingent about the day, December 25th, and everything going right, and everybody being able to get along for a few minutes through a meal. But it's about us entering into a season of expectancy once again, of saying, God, what are you doing here? I may not have control over this one or that one. And I I can't make them say this or not say that or, or respond in this way or do that. But God, in me, would you help my heart to be pure? God, in me, when I say yes to you in the coming of Christ Jesus, let your light begin to shine through me. As your joy bubbles up in me, I recognize it's not about a situation or a circumstance, but in it and through it, I will be joyful. I will be grateful. Like this is the hope that comes from this place of saying yes to Christ Jesus in this Christmas season. Now there's a, there's a place for us as we desire to experience the joy in saying yes to Jesus that it really, it, it comes from one central place, an attitude in our heart. It's this place of, of indifference to anything but God's will and believing and praying for God's will. And when I use that word indifference, sometimes we, we can think of that in its, in its negative way that it gets used culturally of indifference being, you know, apathy or, or not caring and saying kind of like, oh, whatever, laissez-faire. But a, an attitude of indifference when it comes to, to our will and our attitude with respect to God's will and God's way is a surrender and saying yes to God, of saying, Lord, I will be indifferent to anything but God's will. I will be willing to release anything else, any expectations, any desires, any wants, even the things that I feel I need. I'll be indifferent to all of those and put God's will as first and primary. To have an attitude of of indifference or, or even pray prayers of indifference expresses the fact that we have come to a place where we want God's will. We want God's will, nothing more, nothing less. We want nothing else other than God's will to be done in our hearts and lives. Sometimes that's hard to understand. Sometimes it's hard to even quantify and wrap our minds around. What does that mean to pray for God's will to be done? 
But I will tell you this, as you pray for that in a true attitude of surrender, not, you know, like a cat and mouse game with God, but in a true attitude of surrender of saying, God, I want your will in my life. There's a, there's a holy indifference that begins to come up, an ability to, to release offense, an ability to not hold on to hurt and pain from the past and to find places of, of forgiveness and releasing an ability to be able to step more fully into places that take great faith to say yes to God, to follow God's will and God's way. And so when we find that we find that this, this attitude of indifference or a prayer that we pray of indifference is a place where we just abandon ourselves to God. We say, God, I want you more than anything else. Let's look at one other example. And this is in Mary. We see that the Holy Spirit initiated this this indifference within Mary's heart as the angel of the Lord comes to her and describes what is about to unfold in her life. If we jump back a little bit earlier in Luke to Luke chapter one, we see where, you know, Mary, she, the, the angel speaks to her and says, this is what's about to happen. And, and she responds in Luke chapter one, verse 38. And she, she asks, how can this be? And then the angel explains it more. And then Mary finally comes to a place of saying, I am the Lord's servant May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel departs from her. In that moment of her saying, may everything you say come true. I am the Lord's servant. This is a prayer of indifference in Mary where she's saying, I'm willing to release anything of of cultural expectations of what people will think of me, what Joseph will think of me, what it may mean for me in my very life. Maybe what it will mean for me socioeconomically to carry a child that, that is not the child of the one that I'm supposed to be marrying. And how, how will I even explain this story? She, she releases all of that. And her first question is, how can this be? And then she hears the explanation. And then she responds and she says, yes, Lord, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then as we move forward to this moment where she goes to see her, her cousin Elizabeth, like we talked about, and we heard with our candle reading this morning in, in um, the later part of Luke, we see this moment where she encounters Elizabeth and they have this joyful embrace of one another. And then there's Mary's Magnificat, this, this place where it's almost like a joyful song that she begins to sing to the Lord as Elizabeth has exclaimed how great what's happening is and that the Holy Spirit is, is literally moving in Elizabeth, then Mary begins to respond again and, and she begins to sing a song. And if we look at just a portion of it in verse 46, it says, Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. And then she begins to proclaim the generational blessings that God has made and promises that God has made to her people and what God will continue to do. And you think about how young Mary was and how great her faith is. As she begins to pray and proclaim and sing songs of praise, she was invited into the unfolding narrative of what God was doing to redeem the world. She said yes to God. She said, I am the Lord's servant. She was willing to name that for herself and say, I am the Lord's servant. May the Lord work in me. Nobody had to twist Mary's arm. Nobody forced her into a place. Some theologians have even questioned if Mary would have been able to look at the angel and go, "Mm, no, not me. 
I don't know, scriptures don't tell us. But just to think that there was this place of a, a, a showing up of the presence of God and God saying, I want to do a great thing through you. She had some questions. Her questions were few. God responded, and then she said, yes, yes, Lord. And then as she experiences it with family, with trusted ones, there's, a, there's almost a confirmation of what God is doing. And then it just kind of bubbles up within her, this joyful response of, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And I still, at that point, don't think Mary could have even comprehended what was unfolding in the world. To take a person like Mary, who in her day and her time probably would have been fairly anonymous, unseen, unknown, a young girl. She calls herself a lowly servant girl. And then to think, here we are, centuries and generations later, and we know her name. We know her story. And why do we know her name and her story? Not just because she carried the Christ child. While that's huge, it's because of her yes, Lord attitude. She said yes. She said yes, Lord, work in me. I'm willing to let go of all of this other stuff, that indifference. I'm willing to, in indifference, release it all and say, Lord, I will trust in you. How powerful. How many of you wish that an angel of the Lord would show up to you and just speak? And then you'd be like, yes, Lord. <laughs> it doesn't work that way for us, right? And yet I do believe that we have prayerful responses when God speaks to us. We have moments where God is showing up. The spirit of God is prompting us in our heart and our spirit. And we're invited into those places of willful surrender to the Lord. Not coerced, not guilt-laden, not out of condemnation, but willful surrender to God where we say, yes, Lord. And we begin to pray those prayers of indifference. Think about Christ Jesus. Many times he's teaching his disciples how to follow. But when we, when we get to the, the end of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's another moment where Jesus prays a prayer of indifference. We see this in Matthew 26, 39, where Jesus is, is praying. and He's intensely praying to God for what's unfolding and what's about to happen. And then he says, not my will, but your will be done. I will be honest with you as a pastor with my theological education and all of it, I still come to a moment when I think about Jesus praying that prayer and go, okay, he was God, but he was also man and he's in the garden and he's struggling and he has to know what's unfolding through his death and his resurrection. Why couldn't he just been like, yeah, sure, no big deal. But in his humanity, there's this deep gut level resistance still. And then he comes to a place in indifference to any of that and he says, not my will, but your will be done. These powerful examples of indifference say, God, I only want what you want. Even if I don't fully understand it or know the whole plan or see the path to the ending, I want what you want. Think about it. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he goes, this is how you should pray. And then he gives us what? The Lord's prayer. How does it start? Our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. What? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer, that line is a prayer of 
indifference. Indifference to anything of this world of saying, God, I want your will, yours and yours alone. That is a yes, Lord, attitude. And so we can come to a place in a moment like this where we've, we've been journeying through Advent and, and we've been uh, recognizing the expectancy of the coming of Christ. We've, we've worked to prepare the way. We've talked about repentance. We've explored what it means to, to repent of those places of unsurrendered things in our hearts and our lives, to seeing the changing of our, of our mind, that, that transformation of our way of thinking and our, and our attitude and our spirits. In all of it, we can still come to a place where we see all of it. And we know Christmas is coming one way or another. Like Christmas will come. And then we'll enter into that low valley between Christmas and New Year's. And then the new year will start. And we may make some resolutions and be like, okay, I'm going to do this different. And I'm going to exercise. And I'm going to eat less sugar or drink less sugar. And I'm going to, you know, try to do this or pray more or read my Bible. And in all of that, we may have really good intentions and efforts. But if we can't come back to that yes, Lord moment of saying, God, I'm your servant. Have your way in me. Lord, not my will, in the words of Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. God, our Father, you are holy, and I pray for your kingdom to come, your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. If we are in an attitude of surrender in that way, a yes, Lord, attitude, then what will happen is we'll just continue on. We'll continue on digging deeper ruts and patterns in the ways that we've lived, and yet Advent brings us to a place of recognizing that we have an invitation to see something different, to walk a different path. Just like the shepherds, they could have stayed on the hillside and not gone, dismissed it. That was really strange. Maybe even like Zachariah, he could have checked out on what was happening or not experienced the fullness of what God was doing. Or like Mary, as the angel comes and she goes, I can't do this. And she runs away. She tries to hide. She says, no, like in any way, like it's hard for our mind to think that they could do anything different than what we know they did. And yet they were human, just like us. Even for Christ Jesus, at the end of his life in the garden, praying, praying, God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. That's part of his prayer. And then he says, not my will, but your will be done. We have that same invitation. We have that same place where the, this prayer of indifference, this yes, Lord attitude carries us across the threshold from, from really living in the world in the way that we see it, in the world of our own desire, our own human desires and wants, and, and to want to see our action and our will happen in the world and to cross into a different way of living where we start to see God's will really unfold in our hearts, in our lives where we realize that our saying yes to God isn't saying, okay, yes, God, work in the world out there. Our yes, God, is God work in the interior world of me. And may your will be accomplished through me. God, may you birth something divine in me that I can't even understand where it's come from. And I don't understand where it's going or how it's unfolding, but God, I will say yes. And I will say yes to you again and again. You know, the expectancy of Advent leaves us in a place with, with our hearts full, our heads are spinning with just the joy of what it means to know a Savior who understands both our heartache and pain, but also a Savior who fully said yes to God. That was the surrender of Christ Jesus. And if we take it back to the beginning of John's gospel, I love the way Eugene Peterson's The Message translates it. John, 14, or John 1 verse 14 in The Message says this, the word being Christ Jesus, became flesh and blood 
and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory of God with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I love that line. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus became one of us. And as he did, and as we head closer to Christmas this week, my prayer is that you would spend time, just as Christ Jesus did, just as Mary did, working to have that attitude of indifference to the things around us, to the things within us, that place of a willful surrender, that we would be able to kind of, just like Mary said, Lord, may it be so. Lord, may it be so. Just as you said, I want it to be in me. Could that be our attitude in our heart? That's something that we can carry with us beyond Christmas. It's not a present wrapped in paper with a bow, anything like that. But it's a gift of the Holy Spirit that becomes alive in us, that joy that begins to bubble up from underneath, a joy that begins to transform us, a thankfulness that that moves us into a place of saying, yes, Lord, In every situation, in every circumstance, I will be thankful. God, I will work to pray always and continuously. And we say, just as Mary said, I am your servant. May it be so. May you work in me. Let's do this. I want to invite you to to bow your head. And um, I have a a prayer. It's a a written prayer that comes from um, a book of prayers from Charles Foucault. And I want to read this prayer over us. And and he's named it the prayer of abandon. A prayer of abandon. And I want to pray this for us. And then I'll I'll conclude with a prayer of my own. But I want to read this for us now. And if you're in a place where you need to to start to work to experience that indifference of a release surrender, the yes, Lord attitude, I want to invite you this morning to just spend a moment with us now. As I pray this prayer, let these... Let these words become the words in your head and your heart. And then this week, find some moments to use your own words of working to to see that indifference settle in you. Release of offense, release of preference. Say, God, your desires, your ways, may it be what's in my heart. Let me pray for us now. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all. I accept all. Lord, let your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart. For I love you, Lord, and I so need to give myself to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence for you are my father. God, I thank you for what the examples in the gospel show us of those who were entrusted in being part of the story of Christ Jesus coming into this world. So often we just take it for granted like like players or actors on a stage that move on and off at the right moments and and say the right lines. And and yet we, we forget the fact that they were human just like us, had their doubts, their confusion. They're existing in a world with, with cultural expectations that 
set them up to, to really resist what you were doing. And God, in so many ways, we can find ourselves embedded in those, those same stories. And so God, my prayer this morning is that you would help us as a church as we, we draw near to the, Advent, the end of the Advent season, that Lord, that, that expectancy that we've been longing for, the coming of Christ Jesus, would be fulfilled in, in unexpected ways. The Lord, as we pray this week, prayers of indifference, prayers of, of yes, Lord, attitudes, that God, it would really unlock something in our hearts and our souls. God, I pray that you would help us to move into places of, of deeper surrender with you. And Lord, as you bring us into those deeper waters, may we not feel as though it, it was going to take us under, but God, that the, those waters will begin to transform us. Lord, I thank you for what you desire to do through us. And we realize, God, that your will is accomplished in this world through your people. And so, yes, Lord. We say, yes, Lord. God, just as Mary said it, we are your lowly servants. It's confusing that you would use us to do anything in this world, and yet, God, you do. And so we say, yes. We pray, God, that you would bring us into places of, of deeper trust and transformation. Lord, as we begin to pray prayers of indifference where we, we release our preference, God, that you would just come in like a flood and, and transform our vision, the way, that we, the way that we see the world and the way we see others. Change it, Lord, so that we can see it as you see it. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to transform the way that we see ourselves, that we would see ourselves as you see us. And God, our prayer, Lord, is that through that work, that you would be honored and glorified. So once again, God, we say yes, Lord. As you, as you bring a joy to the world in Christ Jesus, we say yes, Lord. God, we are ready for all that you are going to do. God, we're prepared. We repent and surrender, and we say yes. God, we thank you for the joy of this Christmas season, and we pray, Lord, that you would continue working in us and through your church. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.